Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. In a comfortable office, Bible placed firmly atop his lap, 89-year-old Harold Camping is preaching with utter certainty about the end of the world. May 21st, 2011 is the day of judgment, he said with conviction in a YouTube video posted back in 2010. In that video he said, It is the day that ends all gospel salvation activity. It is the most important day by a billion times than any other day the world has ever known. On that day, Camping estimated roughly 207 million people, or about 3% of the world's population, will be plucked from the earth. What will follow is five months of earthquakes, he predicted, and other calamities until the world officially will end, or as he said it would end, on October 21st, 2011. I say that to say this, that many people throughout the library of time, all the way since the day Jesus ascended up to glory, have been trying to date the time when Jesus would return again. But may I remind us all that Jesus said with his own words that of that day and hour knows no man. Only the Father knows of when that time is going to come. It's interesting, we could travel back through history. In fact, if you would like to do this, you can Google false predictions of Christ's second coming, and you can go on Wikipedia and some of the other sources, and you can see how they have had people all the way since the 500s A.D., all the way up till present day, trying to name when Jesus is going to come. The Mormons tried it, and the Jehovah Witnesses tried it, and out of their predictions birthed their religious belief systems and their cultish ideology. But today, as we come to this chapter, as we come to this book of the Bible, I'm reminded how we are not the omniscient, all-knowing God of the universe. No matter how deep in the trenches of theology you begin to study, you will never be able to determine when Jesus Christ is going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. And as while we are anticipating and awaiting Christ's return, I want to share two words with you. Be thankful. Today, if I could label my sermon title with anything, I want to label it with those two words. And if you walk away with anything today, I want you to walk away with those two words. Be thankful. Would you say that with me? Be thankful. I know I've shared this statement with you before, but I want to share it with you again. If I can summarize my entire sermon with one statement, I want it to be this statement. Being thankful is not God's suggestion. It's His divine declaration. Being thankful is not God's suggestion. It's His divine declaration. Since the Old Testament all the way to the book of Revelation, from the beginning to the end, we find that God commands His people to be thankful. And today we're reminded from the song Brother Wayne sung and sang that that we can be thankful for, for the only thing that's worth being thankful for, and that is Jesus Christ and His death, His burial, His resurrection, and how we can have life and have it more abundantly through Him. If you're here today and you can't be thankful of that, it's time that you submit to God's will and receive salvation that is full and free by grace.
Now, by means of introduction, I want to just share with you that the purpose that Paul is writing this letter is threefold. Remember, he just wrote a letter to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, and we went through all of that about preparing for Christ's return. And so they received his letter, and you know what they did? They started doing some crazy stuff. They started doing things that what the people did back in 1948 where they sold all their goods. They went on top of the mountains, and they literally watched and looked up to the sky and waited for Christ's return. You see, Paul was revealing in 1 Thessalonians that Christ's return was imminent. It could happen anytime, so be ready all the time. But he did not mean to go sell your house, to go sell all your uh, vehicles, to get rid of all of your retirement funds, and go on and live on the side of the mountain in a tent before Jesus comes. So Paul wrote with three purposes. It was a letter of personal commendation. He was commending them of their great faith and how they were being persecuted beyond our comprehension. And he commended them. And he said, I praise God through you and I'm thankful for you in these first four verses. And then as he transitions to the next part of his letter, it was a, a, he wrote for a practical commendation, but also for doctrinal correction. You see, after reading 1 Thessalonians, they begin to get sidetracked and, and, and they begin to step aside and, and they begin to start uh, thinking that, that some of the details of Christ's return weren't as if the way the Apostle Paul wrote it. So that's why he begins in chapter 2 and he begins to list very details in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 about Christ's return. And then as you get into chapter 3, his third purpose is it was a letter of practical instruction or correction. You see, the church at Thessalonica received Paul's first letter and they went on top of the mountains to watch and anticipate and wait for Christ's return. They sold everything they had and they began to be idle and lazy. And that's why when Paul says, if you do not work, you do not deserve to eat. And we're going to get to that a little bit later in this sermon series. But today I want to focus on the first four verses. I shared all that so you get some sort of comprehension of why the book was written. And you know the story of 1 Thessalonians, how Paul traveled to Thessalonica and they started the church in Jason's house and they received persecution and then they had to flee. And here as we come to these first four verses, I'm going to share with you just very briefly Three reasons why we can be thankful. Reason number one is found in verses one through three. I wrote down this, be thankful for a growing faith. As I read verse number three, the last part of verse three, I wrote down secondly, be thankful for a loving fellowship. And then as I read verse four, I wrote down thirdly, be thankful for a glorious father. Will you come with me as we move through this segment of 2 Thessalonians together? Look, it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. So this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They are writing this letter together. More than likely, Paul is the ringleader in this matter. And Silas and Timothy are probably just the people writing this letter as he is saying what he wants to be uh, written down. And they're writing to the believers in Thessalonica. So that's in the northern re region of Greece, modern-day Greece. In their time period is Macedonia. He says, I'm writing in the name of God and in the name of Jesus. And he extends his gracious opening as he does in all of his epistles in verse 2. But we get to verse number 3, and it says we are bound. Say bound with me on three. One, two, three. Bound. Say it again, please. Bound. 
We sing that song, I am bound for the promised land. Well, this verse, this word, to wor the meaning of bound, it means that they are morally obligated to thank God for these people. And let me just tell you something. If another fellow believer in the faith does something for you, you are morally obligated to thank God for them. He says, we are bound to thank, to be full of gratitude to God always for you. Brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. So I wrote down this thought. Be thankful for a growing faith. Be thankful for a growing faith. Listen, we just got out of a, an awesome revival meeting. In fact, I would just be so uh, bold to say that it was probably the greatest revival meeting since I have been at this church. God used this meeting to, to bless my heart, and I hope that he used it to stir your heart as well. But we can just come out of a revival meeting, and if you come out of a meeting like that and your faith hasn't grown a little bit, something's wrong. You know, I wrote down this thought. If your faith is not increasing, it is decreasing. If your faith is not increasing, it is decreasing. God wants our faith to constantly be growing. Now, I'm not saying it needs to grow a mile long or you need to grow the, the, as fast as Pinocchio's nose grows. I'm not saying anything like that. But what I am saying today is that if your faith is not growing little by little each and every day, something's wrong. Remember, we went through the book of Colossians, and in Colossians chapter number 1, we find the Apostle Paul is writing to these believers in Colossae, and he says in verse number 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, it's interesting, as a, as a teenager, when I was 16, I thought I knew everything. You can ask my parents. And... You would have thought I had a Ph.D. in everything because I, at least I thought that I knew everything about everything. And in really, in, in all truth, uh, I knew nothing about everything. But have you ever noticed that sometimes in our lives we, I, I, listen, for instance, I read through the New Testament one time. And God bless Brother Dave and Miss Tabitha because I had to sit underneath their, their leadership. And he probably thought that I thought I thought I was a Bible scholar. <laughs> But I wasn't. I read through the New Testament one time and I thought I knew everything about the book of Revelation. I thought I knew everything about the, the Apostle Paul. I thought I knew everything about Jesus. But in all truth, I knew nothing about the Bible. And I say that to say this. That Paul's are reminding these New Testament believers that, hey, if your knowledge of God's word and about God is not growing, something's wrong. If your faith is not growing each and every day, Perhaps it's decreasing each and every day. Why do you have revival meetings? Why do you have all these special meetings? Why? Because we need to grow in our faith. Why do we have church on Sunday mornings? Why do we have Sunday school, by the way? Why do we have Sunday night service? Why do we have a Wednesday night service? Why? So that our faith can grow and our knowledge of God will grow more. I'm not saying you have to come and listen to me in order to grow your faith, but I am saying that we need to be committed to our local church. We need to be committed to the fact that, hey, the more I'm in the services, the more my faith has an opportunity to grow. I'm not saying that if you want your faith to grow, you need to go to Bible college or seminary. I'm not saying that today. But I am saying that if you want your faith to grow every single day, you need to spend time in the Word of God, asking God to increase your knowledge about Him, about His Word, and increase the size of your faith. Be thankful for a growing faith. Maybe some people here today aren't thankful for a growing faith because your faith just simply is not growing. I also wrote down this. 
As I read the first part of verse number three, it says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. This means that it was growing, kind of like leaps and bounds. I wrote on this thought, underneath, be thankful for a growing faith. Not only if your faith is not increasing, it is decreasing. I wrote on this, if your faith is not tested, it cannot be trusted. If your faith is not tested, it cannot be trusted. You see, the Apostle Paul's writing to these believers who were persecuted for their faith. Imagine starting a church in your house and people come and assault your house and try to take you and throw you into jail. I'd say you'd have a pretty bad day. I'd say most of us here are having great days every day. Even all the craziness that's going on in our lives compared to them. You see, sometimes... It's interesting, I, I once heard somebody say this, that whenever you're going to school and you're taking a test, the teacher is always silent during the test. Isn't that something? And when God allows our faith to go through a testing period, sometimes he is completely silent because he wants us to learn from that time. I also wrote on this, if your faith is comfortable, then it may not be conformable. If your faith is comfortable, then it may not be conformable. Romans chapter 8 is, is probably my favorite chapter in the book of Romans. And in this chapter, we find the Apostle Paul's writing a lot about a lot. He really is. He summarizes so much in the 8th chapter. So I want to encourage you to read chapter 8. But I want to zoom in on just a couple of verses. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And check it out now. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Every single day of our lives, every single service we are in, we need to be praying that God would take our lives, He would take our faith, He would take our minds, and He would conform it more to the image of Jesus Christ. You see, we have two options in this world. We can either be conformed to Jesus Christ, or as the Apostle Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 12, that we can be conformed to the, the world, or we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I don't know about you, but I want God to take my mind that's contaminated with sin. I want God to take my life that is encompassed in, 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 in the darkness of this world, and I want Him to change it completely from the inside out so that I can be more like Him. If your faith is comfortable, then it may not be conformable. Maybe God wants you to step out of your comfort zone and start doing some extra things for Him. Or maybe God wants you to step out of, it, of your comfort zone and just start doing some things for Him. Be thankful for a growing faith. Are you thankful for that? Can you be thankful for a growing faith? Now I want to share with you secondly. Look at, at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1 in the last part of verse number 3. So it talks about how their faith was growing exceedingly, but then it moves forward and he says, and the charity. Say charity with me. Charity. Say it again. Charity. Charity is a, a synonym for love, but a deeper kind of love here, a love that's kind of like God's love. And it says, and the charity of every one of you that, uh, it says, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other abounds or aboundeth. I wrote in this, and today I am thankful for this. Be thankful for a loving fellowship. Be thankful for a loving fellowship. 
Did you know that we need each other? I need you and you need me. Now, some days I may not think I need you, and some days you may think that you don't need me, but we need to each other every single day. I know that the millennial generation, my generation, thinks that we don't need some of those who have been around the block a time or two, but we need you. And I know that sometimes those who have been around the block a time or two think they don't need the younger generation, but we need each other. And if we want a great church, we need all generations. So today I'm thankful that as I look out at this auditorium, I see young and I see old. I see those who are recently saved and I see those who have been saved for a long time. I wrote in this thought, Christian fellowship inspires your walk with God. Christian fellowship inspires your walk with God. It says, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. As I read that phrase, that section, I couldn't help but think that Christian fellowship inspires your walk with God. When I come and I meet in services like this, as I, as I look at other believers and I hear about uh, how, how, how some believers are, are spending so much time studying God's Word, and some believers are, are going out and sharing their faith on a regular basis, and, and some believers are doing many other things, and I am inspired by that. And so today when we come in to, to worship God, we bring our different walks of life so that we can be part of the body here at Clearbrook and so that we can inspire each other in our relationship with God. But I also wrote on this, Christian fellowship encourages your walk with God. Christian fellowship encourages your walk with God. You see, we have a movement in our world today that says all you need to do is turn the television on and I can watch church on TV. They say all I need to do is just... Uh, stay at home and watch Facebook Live, and I'm still getting church. They say, all I need to do is flip it on YouTube and watch the big mega church. They say, all I need to do is watch the preacher that's in North Carolina or California, and I'm in my church here in New Hampshire. <laughs> Let me just tell you something today. The reason why we come together, and so that you can see the minister, and so that you, I, as the minister, can see you and we can fellowship with each other is because we're doing this to encourage each other. The Apostle Paul, or at least I believe it was the Apostle Paul, we could debate about that later, but who wrote to the, to the believers uh, called Hebrews, and in the 13th chapter, in verse number 5, he says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I love that, how that God says he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And listen, we in like manner should not leave or forsake our fellow believers in times of need. And then the Bible also talks about earlier in the book of Hebrews, how not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other so we can inspire each other, so we can encourage each other. And then check it out now. I went back to the book of Proverbs and I thought about this thought. Christian fellowship sharpens your walk with God. Not only does it inspire, not only does it encourage, but it sharpens. Iron sharpens iron. 
You know, if you want to become a better basketball player, you know what you need to do? You need to hang out with better basketball players. If you want to become a better cyclist, you know what you need to do? Go cycle with people who are stronger and faster than you. If you want to become a better baseball player or whatever kind of athlete it is or whatever you want to do, whether you want to be a better writer, better musician, get around people who are better than you. If you want to be a better Christian, it's time that we get around people who have a greater walk and a deeper walk. And so Proverbs chapter 27 says, that iron sharpens iron. So each service that we're here, we're doing it to sharpen each other. Be thankful for a growing faith. Be thankful for a loving fellowship. Remember, being thankful is not God's suggestion. It's His divine declaration. It's not something we do just on Thanksgiving Day. But now check out verse number four. Verse number four, I wrote down this third thought. Be thankful for a glorious Father. Be thankful for a glorious Father. Verse 4 says, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. Now, let me pause right here. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he's saying how, listen, we are glorifying how God is working in and through you in Thessalonica. Remember, but God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience. We are thanking God. We are glorifying God that you're patient through persecutions. You're patient through tribulations. And that your faith through persecutions is enduring. And that your faith through tribulations is enduring. So I wrote down this, be thankful for a glorious father. I'm thankful today that no matter what you experience in life, no matter what trial you go through, no matter what kind of persecution you might receive, that God is glorious and he can get you through that time. So I'm thankful today for the one and only God of the universe who is able to get us through our trials. Remember what somebody said, if God brought you to it, he will bring you through it. And if you're going through a mountaintop experience, just just think of yourself, tomorrow you may be going down through a valley. And if you're in a valley, you might be on top of a mountain soon. As I read the first part of verse number four, I wrote down this. God helps us patiently endure trials. Endurance is something that is hard to do at times, especially if you're not prepared. God helps us patiently endure trials. Maybe the reason why God is allowing you to go through a trial is because he wants you to be more patient to rely on. On his help. As I read this verse, I, I, I wrote on this. God helps us faithfully endure trials. You see, it's one thing to be patient and wait on God, and, and it's great. Those who wait on God, the Bible says their strength will be renewed. They will mount up as in, uh, with wings as eagles, and they will run, and they will not be weary, and they will walk, and they will not faint. Not only do we need to be patient, but we also need to be faithful. You see, so many times people go through a trial. Listen to me now, church. Listen to me. This is serious stuff. Sometimes people go through a trial, and that's when they go to God and they cry out to him, or that's when they run away from God. God wants us to go to him no matter what season we're in, and he wants us to faithfully endure. You see, when we were cycling across America, I want to be honest with you. There were times where we were having the blast. We got to the top of Emory Pass, 8,200 feet up in the air, and we began to zoom down that mountain for about five miles. And I thought to myself, man, this is, this, is, this is real. This is good. We had our lemonade and we were drinking it in the shade driving down that mountain. 
But then let me remind you, there was times on that trip that I wanted to take that bicycle and I wanted to burn it and throw it off the cliff. And I know Brother Dave can testify. And some of the others here can. Man, I was in so much pain and agony. Riding a hundred miles for 30 days in a row. The shortest day was about 51. The longest day was 151 miles. Man. Trying to endure that was very challenging. But you know what I, I discovered? I discovered that if God could help our team cycle across America, if God can help our church do a task like that, God can help us endure anything. God helps us patiently endure trials and faithfully endure trials. But I want to share this with you. This is, this is crazy stuff right here. I wrote down this. God helps us worshipfully endure trials. You see, God wants us to be patient. God wants us to be faithful. But he also wants us to be worshipful. He wants us to praise him in the midst of the storm. Casting Crowns, they wrote that song many years ago, how they were going to praise him in the storm. And they referenced David in the Old Testament, how he slew Goliath. And they, they talked about how we're going to praise God in the storm. And today, look at this passage. They are being patient. They are being faithful. And they are praising God. My dear friends, God wants us to endure. He wants us to acknowledge how he is glorious. And that we can be thankful that he is our glorious father who will never leave us nor forsake us. Be thankful for a glorious Father. Be thankful for a loving fellowship. Be thankful for a growing faith. Being thankful is not God's suggestion. It's His divine declaration. May I draw your attention to one passage of Scripture before we close? I want you to turn to Psalm 100. And I know that you know this psalm. Many of you might have this psalm memorized. But you know, sometimes in the passages that we are very familiar with, we miss some of the greatest truths that God has for us. Psalm 100. And I want to close just by reading each of the five verses. Psalm 100 is a psalm of praise. And it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful. Say those two words with me. Be thankful. Say it again. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. I would like for you to take a mental note of this statement and make it your statement. I will be thankful. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith. 30 days to a renewed faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. 
Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.